the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome again to The Believer's Journey. I'm so glad you're joining us today. And um, I want to give a special thanks for all, everyone who prays for our program and uh, supports us. I would like to ask everybody, if you can, uh, we're looking for people to subscribe to The Believer's Journey. Uh, it's uh, absolutely free. It doesn't cost anything except for a click. And what it does is if you want to watch us at any time, it puts you on the side of your uh, computer and you can get to us quicker and easier, but there's no cost to it. And also, um, I am covet your comments and your questions. If you have any questions about uh, something we've said or if you have questions about what you want to learn, uh, anything we're teaching, I definitely will get back to uh, any and everybody uh as soon as I can, and I've never left a, a question undone. So if you uh, will, I appreciate that. So today we're going to talk about uh, salt and light in the community. I have here as my guest again, Michael Mata, uh, longtime college roommate and, <laughs> um, and uh, friend. Yes, and I would uh, I would um, encourage you to really watch the entire program, and we had a wonderful program last time, and I think that uh, the information that I have gathered from Michael's background and what he does is pretty amazing. I think that uh, those of you who are in the ministry could benefit from the things that are said on, on this program at this point. So, Michael. Hello, hey welcome. There. Good to be with you again. Yes, it's so nice to have you here. Um, we talked a little bit last week about uh, the fact that you uh, uh, were with PBS, and we also talked about um, uh, Together LA. Mm -hmm. But I also noticed that you're on a lot of um, other boards and ministries and companies that you either advise or you're on their uh, direct board of directors. Mm -hmm. And um, if I get my papers together, which is kind of interesting here, um, I want to talk a little bit about those. I, I, um, I, before I go on with that, I want to mention that because uh, Michael works with a lot of organizations uh, that are uh, about the community. But Michael also holds degrees in he's got um, a master's degree in re in regional city planning um, from University of California, Berkeley. Yay. OK, there you go. You've also got a master's of divinity um, and a master's in religion. So yes. you've got two masters. Uh, so you have three master's degrees. Yes. So do I. 
Right. <laughs> Wanting counseling, yeah. biblical literature, and religion. So it's interesting. I think I overdid it. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't have anything else to do. So my dad said, education's not going to hurt you yeah. too much. <laughs> um, a lot of years are spent in, in that, but... And then you also, um, you so you went to a, a Nazarene Theological Seminary as well as Point Loma. Mm-hmm. And um, then you also have a, your bachelor's in biblical literature um, and a minor in business mm-hmm. from Point Loma as well. Yes. And finally, uh, you went to USC. Is that USC? Yeah, University of Southern California. Okay. And you got your doctorate there. Yeah, I did doctoral studies in um, planning policy and development. Okay. Uh, kind of a upscale version of urban planning, but looking at the role of religious institutions in affecting community and economic development. So what I see here that I want to bring to the table is that uh, you have taken a lot of things in, in Christianity, the spiritual realm of the world, and a lot of things in the secular movements of community and you've brought them together. You're bringing them together. You have been doing this for, what, 40 years now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a child prodigy. <laughs> to to bring together a view, I believe, of God in their relationship and to better their community. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it kind of harkens back to Jeremiah, you know, writing to the people in exile you know i'm sure they were waiting a letter to say you get to come home now they probably had their bags packed and the donkeys or camels or whatever they're going to haul back to jerusalem and it said no if you want to find your well-being you find it in seeking the well-being of the community in which you reside in that was probably a hard work a hard word to to receive but i believe that's what we're about we're to be light and salt in the community Mm-hmm. Not hide our light under a bushel. No, remember that little song? Yeah. Are we going to let our light shine? Well, I think we somehow have forgotten that we may sing it, but we forget the meaning of what that is all about. It's how we're going to really express ourselves and let the world know that God is alive and well and wants something for our life, for our for our lives, and for our families and our communities and neighborhoods. Unless we're out there. Yeah. Um. What I find amazing is the amount, the amount of institutions that you have worked with, you have worked for, you have advised, as well as the time it takes to do all of this. I don't see where you can find time. I mean, but you have a, a, an abundance of things. If I go down a list, you've worked with Biola University, uh, the Los Angeles United Methodist Urban Foundation, the National Crime Prevention Council, Esperanza USA, the Hudson Institution, uh, National Campaign to Prevent Teen Pregnancy, World Vision, uh, Field Operations. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, uh, which was the Center for Faith-Based Community Initiatives. Yes. I, I mean, these are just organizations you've you've worked for as former clients. Yes. And this is not even counting all the other organizations that you advise and worked with as well. Right. I mean, that's a list and a half. <laughs> well, it's all part of my mission, right? People say, what are you about? Well, I'm about community transformation and leadership development. 
Mm-hmm. And so it isn't like I'm stretching myself to do certain things that are different. It's all about the same thing. You know, I'm, I, I kind of have a, a one, one, one statement, one reality, one truth that I want to share with other people. Maybe I use different vocabulary, different words, or different tools, but it's all about the same thing. What do we have as people of faith that can bring about true transformation? Not in just in individual lives, but in, in the context in which they live, play, worship, you know, whatever it needs. And that's what's needed because not everyone that we know of has come into a personal relationship with the living Christ. Yeah. But nonetheless, they should not also, they, shouldn't they also benefit from who God is and what God is doing? Um, and so I think we have a responsibility. And that's what Jeremiah was telling these people, this, these, these people in exile, which is not the best place to be because you don't want to be there, but saying, well, look at what you need to do. Seek the well-being of that community. Build houses. Well, it's easy to build a house. I mean, Habitat of Humanity can do one in one day or one week, but make it into a home, that takes time. To build, plant gardens takes time, so it is an investment of time. So what you see here over these decades has been an investment of time and energy about the same thing, yeah. about bringing the reality of the kingdom. And I can't find this in my notes, but I'm sure I read that you also worked with uh, Habitat for Humanity as well. Uh, well, I was in a special project that Jimmy Carter came to Los Angeles, and so I was part of that advisory group that helped you know, think about what Jimmy Carter could do and where and how we went about um, creating some houses for people who were in dire need. Okay. Um, I have a personal question to ask you, and this is because... Um, I know there's a lot of people like in Texas that look at people who are in California <laughs> and they think that everybody in California are all liberals. They all believe in sin is okay and life, the lifestyle is all, you know, <laughs> for the birds. It's not really Christ-centered. Uh, right. Tell us about your faith. Well, I, I grew up in, in a pastor's home. I'm third generation within my denomination, the Church of the Nazarene. So that that was all I knew, really. But and, I, go and, ahead. And a Nazarene church is not a liberal church, correct? Uh, it's not liberal in terms of how people are thinking about what liberal is, right? Okay, yes. I think we need sometimes to forget about what our history is and what we were really committed to doing. But we can talk about that a little bit. But but I it wasn't until I was 15 at a church camp, not as nice as Idlewild. We were literally camping out in property there and on the side of the border where my father's faith became my personal faith at age 15 where I made that personal decision that it I wasn't like I was rebelling against what my father was teaching and preaching but I knew that it had to become a personal thing and my father knew that too and I became I bet he baptized me and so it's been a journey it's been a a process right Um, there's been some places where I doubt it. You know, does God really love us? You know, what ha- has happened in my family's life? And even occasionally I go like, where, where, is, where is God in this? And that's a, a true and honest question. But nonetheless, my faith, what I believe in has really given me life, has given me impetus. It's given me a reason, purpose, and meaning. And I'm always exploring ways that that can be lived out, not just by me, but how can I help other people understand that? especially those that already confess the Lordship of Christ, 
Mm-hmm. But sometimes they don't have the tools to really be light and salt. Because you can only be salty if you're hanging out with other people, right? Right. And you can only be light if you're out there and not just hiding under a bushel. Yeah. I mean, I teach that uh, a believer is to uh, seek holiness and live a holy life, mm-hmm. um, which from holiness emulates like the gifts of the gift of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have love and peace and you have forgiveness. You have um, honesty. You have all these things that are looking from a, a view of holiness. Uh, I believe that a believer is to become like Jesus, basically. Yeah. You know, um, how do you fit with that? Well, I, I, you know, I hearken back to Phineas Brzee, the founders of the Los Angeles First Church of Nazarene and one of the movers in the Nazarene denominational movement. And uh, he, he preached sanctification and holiness. He was traveled across the United States uh, in campaigns and taught and preaching and, and part of the holiness movement. But he saw that in also intangible ways. It's not just a, a personal kind of engagement or understanding of who we are. But how does this translate into whole living, right? Yeah. Whole living with other people, especially those that have been marginalized and neglected, ignored, or seen as disposable. And so he had that heart. He, he said, it. I want, a, I want something in the, in the center of the city that would you know, bring about hope in the lives of other people, especially those that are, don't have anything. So he worked on Skid Row. Out of that movement came rescue homes. They, they call them rescue homes, but that was for people in, in human, who were being tra- human trafficked. Yeah. At that time, you know, we didn't know about that. They started programs for the Spanish-speaking population, uh, the Chinese as well. You know, we had the Chinese Exclusion Act at that time, and so there was a this holiness. It's not to just keep it within myself; it's to mm-hmm. spill over into the lives and communities of other people, especially those that are again not necessarily part of mainstream or don't have the benefits or access to those resources that will enhance their lives. Yeah. And Jesus, again, modeled that. So you're going, who, who's, how, where's the example? It's Christ. Yeah. Always went to those that maybe weren't necessarily those that the, the mainstream um, society really appreciated. You know, I, I like the fact that you work outside the box. You seem to live outside the box. You, you seem to... Uh, well, Jesus lived outside the box. I mean, when you, we... We Christian type people, mm. you know, seem to want to do all this conversion and walk away to convert more, to walk away to convert more. And Jesus walked into a group and fed them and then preached to them. Yeah. He healed them he healed, yes. and preached to them. Yes. He, he met their needs. He talked to them on their emotional needs and then preached to them. He, he, he met them in other areas first. Yes. Before he ever started talking about the fact they needed to, to look to God to live a righteous and holy life. Absolutely. I mean, Bartimaeus, that's a great example for me. He's blind. But what does he say? He doesn't say, I'm going to heal you. People are going like, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Yeah. And I can imagine the disciples go, hello, he's blind, heal him. <laughs> Why are you asking him what does he want? He was really appreciative and respectful of the individual and who they are and asking and willing to listen to where they are 
primarily. Yeah. And, and I think that's really important for us and not to see themselves, to see other people as an object. Oh, I'm, oh there's somebody I want to go share the, you know, the, the gospel with, but saying they have something to offer as well. And so where is that relationship that we demonstrate because it's been de- demonstrated with, with us through the living Christ? Yeah. And I, th- I and I, as I look at that, I think that is a, a huge situation that I think that um, we're, I think that a lot of organizations are branching out more, but I think a lot of organizations uh, and churches don't mm. into the community, into the areas that need to have healing. Yeah. When I'm in Moldova, and um, there's a group there that called, um, you might have heard of this, um, Stella's House. Hmm. And now they have one called Simon's House. And then Stella's House was created because in Moldova, um, the problem is they're so poor that uh, a couple may have a child or children. And then because they can't afford to live, Mm -hmm. normally one of the parents, your father might go out of the country and work for nine, ten months out of the year Mm -hmm. or even 11 months and come back for a month or two. Mm -hmm. And then go back and they earn their money and send their money back home. So the children never really get to know that parent. Mm, Yes. Some, a lot of other families, both parents go. So the child either ends up with an aunt or uncle or a grandparent or an orphanage. Mm. And so the human trafficking is really, really bad. So these ministries there, Stella's House and Simon's House, these are places now, it's an organization that house these children to protect them from trafficking. And they give them hope. They they get to go to school. They raise Mm -hmm. them. And it's time to go to college. They help them have a career. Yeah. And so now they have invested in them an entire life Yes, for them to have an entire life. Right, that's right. And protect them. Yeah, I think that's exactly what I think about. It's not just people say give us a fish. We could just could house them, but actually providing a pathway yeah. so they can live life more fully, right? And and not be caught up in other issues. Because that aspect of human trafficking is... Is a problem, but it's also symptomatic of something else that's not right. Yeah. Right. And you just talk that out. You know, those are other systemic structural issues that have impact in a terrible way if we don't intervene and provide a way that people can experience the fullness of what God wants us to experience. And I I think, you know, unfortunately, I, I believe a lot of it has to go with has to do with maybe crooked politicians and government. You know, that probably has a lot to do with it. Um, and a lot of places it isn't because of that. It's just because it is what it is. I was fortunate enough to, one day I was asked to go preach at this place. I had no idea. It was just a church. I ended up at this humongous house, and it was Stella's house. Mm. And I was I started to cry. I couldn't believe I was actually there at a place that I've heard about, but they don't let you know where it is. It's yeah, kind of a right. very hush-hush. And uh, but it's just amazing. There's 80, 80 people there, wow. mostly girls and from the ages like thirteen and up. Yeah, and uh, it's just pretty amazing. But I think if we understood the responsibility that we have, like we said in our last program, 
how the children are a gift of the, of the Lord. Yes. We need to take that on as believers and understand that more fully and take action. Yeah, Don't absolutely. just say, I'm going to pray for it. James says, no, no. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Don't just say, I'm going to pray for it. Get out and do something. Yes. You know, and I really believe, you know, and that's why I appreciate what you do. You've taken the bull by the horns and you've gotten right in there with him to become part of the um, solution. Well, and, and I, th- I think we need to think that way. You know, it, 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 it can be daunting, I'm sure. I know when I arrived to Los Angeles and saw all the need, it was overwhelming. I was going like, where do I start? It's going to take forever to do that. But if we think more transformationally of what could happen and what needs to happen, then we really free ourselves up. So you say, well, how do you do all that? Well, it's not me. It's already the capacity is already with these organizations and people within those organizations. And all I'm doing is maybe providing new tools or a different way of using what they already know and unleashing what the capacity is there too. And that was for me, for my young people. I mean, I had like I had to stop them. They don't after after 200. I go, don't invite any more here. I can't handle all of you by myself. But then God said. The greatest asset you have is right in front of you. These young people, invest in them, right? So then we begin to teach them how to do budget, raise money, how to do X, Y, and Z. And they begin to actually fill out the calendar for activities. I didn't have to plan that, right? I didn't have to do it. They were moving. I was just facilitating because I had access as an adult. But when they asked for jobs... That was like, I don't have the skills for that. But by that time, we had the networks and relationships in the community, the local newspaper, the elected politician who wants to put that big photo op with the big check, right? Yeah. We had some of the business uh, community leaders to come and say, let's, let's give an opportunity. So we had to show that young people could show up, could follow instructions, could budget their paycheck. And, you know, it was a pilot. But in three or four years, I didn't need to work anymore. I didn't need that program anymore. We grew to zero because now the entire community saw young people as viable employees. Now, they're not going to be perfect, but at least they gave them an opportunity. That's transformation. I could have just stayed working on trying to get people jobs. I needed the, the larger community to see young people as truly valued and give them opportunity to work. And I think, and I and I believe that, on, on even a larger scale, that what really needs to be understood by those like you is that the entire movement and power of it all is centered in Jesus and the it, Holy Spirit. It, it moves from a, from who we are and what our faith is. That's what we bring to the table. Yeah. Right. And we, we, it doesn't mean that we only, you know, harness what we know. I mean, there are, there are assets and experiences that God has imbued other places and other people and other organizations, even if they don't have the Christian title over their organization. It's this collaboration that I know what we have. People came to us, right? We didn't go out there and talk. They go, you're the church that's doing something. Can you help us do that? Or we even helped another church start their youth program. Built on our model, yeah. right? Because, hello, in my neighborhood, there's a, it's 180,000 people in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people. A part, a good third of them are probably under the age of 18. Wow. The church I was part of could not handle thousands of young people. We need other institutions and other churches. So we were free 
to say, I'm going to show you how we did it so you can do it too. People are going, how come you're helping the other church? They're not even part of our denomination. They're part of God's kingdom, exactly. right? Yeah. <laughs> we had, a, we had a, a huge, well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, because I go to Eastern Europe a lot, I try to go every year if possible. Uh, we just came back from there. One of the things that I, I learned and I, I hope that people try to get is that the people over there are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes. They're part of the church yes. that I belong to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are all one mm-hmm. in the same. Mm-hmm. When they hurt, we should yes. hurt. Yes. When they rejoice, we should rejoice. Yes. And vice versa. Yeah. I, I think too often in the Christian world of the United States and maybe even Canada, we look at it, oh, it's the mission field, let me give you $5 or $20 or $100. It is all about sending the money over there mm. rather than in investing our emotions and our life into the fact that understanding they're part of us. Yes. The church is part is is global. Right. It's not just in your, your neighborhood down the street. Right. It's not not defined by human walls. Exactly. Right? It, it's it's out there. So that's what I really embrace. In it, it doesn't matter. It's not important what denomination I affiliate with. It's because I feel comfortable there. I, I feel nurtured. We yeah. all need that. We need to come worship him. But what the work, what the liturgy of the people is, what the worship of the people is, is what happens outside those four walls. Once you leave, you know, yeah. can people see that your life is different? Can they see that there's possibilities that they never really experience, right? You know, it's interesting, uh, Lon Ekdahl, the pastor I, I bring up that I mm-hmm. live with. Um, so he retired several years ago, but he's been busy interim pastor. And so he came out here to do a program with, with me. And as we were talking in my house... Um, we were talking about the latest church he has been in, and he says, "Yeah, it's a Baptist church, right?" Because he's like Nazarene, you know. I'm like, "Really?" He goes, "Oh yeah, and I love it. It's you know, and it's a 150 mile drive one way. Mm, it's like, real wow, commitment. that's commitment. Yes, yeah. for several months he's been doing this, and yeah. that is total commitment. Right. Well, it, again, it's where we're, we're called and. Where uh, people's gifts and abilities are honored, uh, I, I've been very honored. I mean, uh, I still share in other churches that are outside of our, my denomination. Um, in fact, sometimes they think I'm already part of another denomination because I'm so often at that church or that that congregation. You know, may, may that be yeah. Methodist, or Episcopal, or Presbyterian, or some other one. Well, even even these uh, groups that I mentioned, Biola is Baptist. I mean, Methodist is Methodist. Obviously, you have uh, Presbyterian. You have groups on every side of the, yeah, of the yeah. Hudson there. Institute. Is sometimes a you know a, you know conservative policy think tank. But then yeah. I worked with the HUD at that time under uh, Bush. Uh, did that kind of work? Uh, I, I don't. It, it's really about where what where we need to sh- shine the light. Yeah. Right, and some people say, "Well, it's just too, it's just too much." I go, "Wait a minute! You have a little candle. I have a little candle. We have a light, but when we bring all those lights together, it becomes a beacon of hope for other people. Yeah, and that's why when they see that, that's powerful. I'm willing to link up in my neighborhood with 
the the Presbyterians um, with the Lutherans when they're still there they had a cell they moved on but the Baptist Church where I went and spent time with their 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 board to how to figure out how do they begin to reflect the community that's changing because they wanted to still be vital so we need each other and you know it's funny going back to the day of Jesus I don't I have no idea. Because there's five denominations back then, you know, your, your Pharisees and Sadducees and so forth. We don't yeah. even know what Jesus was. <laughs> we know that Paul was a Pharisee, but he doesn't say it like, oh, wow. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Right, great. Right, it was right, not right. a good thing. And, uh-huh. But when Paul preached, you knew that he preached to all people, not just a select group. Yeah. In fact, he kind of got bothered with Peter because Peter kind of, would play the game of I'm I'm with you as Gentiles. All the Jews are coming now. I'm going to go sit with them because you know I'm going to. Yeah. But Paul was was like the whole spectrum. Like Jesus was the whole spectrum. Well, he was about the kingdom of God, right? Exactly. And I like to drop the G, kingdom. You know, it's about relationship. You yes. know, you know that's what was key for him. Who are you? Do you know who who created you? Do you know what? can happen and will happen if you believe you know that was really interested you know for me when i read and see his story and then understand what that looks like and even in hebrews they said what does it mean to be a christian and it's going back to what you just said but it's about loving our brothers and sisters it's caring for those who have been in prison and tortured. It's, do we sense a sense of solidarity? It doesn't mean that we, we have to be like everybody else, but really tap into our connectedness, right? Yeah. And so that's what I do. It has, that's what my title. When they ask me, I ask them, what, what title do you want from Together LA? And they go like, <laughs> they do, you tell me. You, so I created that because it reflects what I do. I network. I bring. I connect people organizations I still get calls they go hey do you know somebody who's doing this and it could be from government it could be from a foundation it could be from another institution that's asking and looking for that uh, and then leadership development it's about again enhancing the capacity unleashing the power of people and organizations and individuals ultimately to transform the world right to yeah. make it a better place I like the Jesuit education their their goal of education is to make the world better right yeah. And the kingdom of God is a tangible reality when things are better, right? The shalom yeah. is there and evident. So I want to right now go over some of the the areas you've worked with, the people you've worked with, and I want you to talk about it a little bit. So uh, one is, it says you are, were appointed to the Los Angeles Mayor's Interfaith Task Force called the Collective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and also the Los Angeles Faith Coalition to end homelessness. Mm-hmm. Right. So this looks like a pretty big to do here. And mm-hmm. talk about it. And when you talk about ending homelessness, talk about that too. Yeah. Well, uh, we have a, a fortunate. I, I consider fortunate. And of course, we're always going to debate. You know, the effectiveness of the leadership. But the mayor there. Uh, is one who actually speaks Spanish. His grandmother's from Mexico. Uh, he is uh, went to an Episcopal school, but he, he, he's a practicing Jew. So he knows that faith, religious faith, is important. And knowing that Los Angeles is probably one of the most religiously diverse cities on this planet. Name the religion, is, it, it is found there. And of course, Los Angeles is the birthplace of many movements. 
mm-hmm. our, our denomination, Church of the Nazarene. Yeah. And there's other ones, the, uh, the Pentecostal movement, the Zeus Street Revival, you know, Assemblies of God, all those kind of birthed from that. Uh, and so he knew that religion is a powerful force. So he brought together uh, a number of people, um, most of them leaders from different denominations, bishops, you know, from different uh, streams, different um, uh, religious uh, traditions. Uh, then I was like, at first, the lone evangelical. And so I said, There's, there are other ones I can invite. So we become that. So what he, so he, gives, he asks us for input on issues of job development, immigration, homelessness and now climate change and we're going to become more environmentally sensitive to that and the role of faith and all that too but in terms of homelessness uh the the other coalition one of the uh organizers of that was uh, was mentored by me and he started mentor for change helping other young people find a pathway in, in terms of careers and he began to work he was a pastor but he got you know he was moved to work with uh government and heads up a number of different initiatives and said, we need to bring the faith community together to talk about our role, what we've done, and what we can do to, if not alleviate the suffering, if not eliminate homelessness, but alleviate the suffering of those who are unhoused, right? Sometimes not because they did something wrong, it's because of some policies or structures that put them out on the street. And so we talk about what we bring, say, to, to the table, so to speak. Yeah. I mentioned to you earlier when we were talking, we had a, a group here on, on, our, on this program from the call the Kingdom, the Kingdom's uh, Service. Boy, my brain just went off. <laughs> um, our Lord's Kingdom, sir, our Father's Kingdom Service. Right. We're there trying to help people who are on the... On the ver- on the edge, right? Uh-huh. On the edge of becoming homeless. Okay. To ha- help them not yes. become homeless. Yes. I think that's so important, and yeah. people f- don't always realize that if we can go upstream, right, mm-hmm. and stop the issue there, then we won't have to deal with the impl- the ramifications of ignoring that situation. And how do how do we create that? One of the things that uh, the founder of this. Uh, ministry said is one of the problems is that there are many Christians out there that feel like, well, they got themselves in this position, they can get right. themselves out, so I'm not going to help. Mm. What do you? How do you respond to well, that? Well, that's a, that's a very um, myopic and unloving in many ways because we don't know the story of all these people. Yeah, they may have experience. Maybe they knew something or heard a story or read something about somebody's actions and then put them out on the street. You know, they didn't. Whatever, but that isn't the full picture of everybody who's out there. I know in Los Angeles and California, a lot of those that are in houses because they are have mental illness or struggle with mental illness. Mm-hmm. And a number of years ago, a policy was made that closed down all the community centers that provided help for those individuals. Yeah. So they have to get themselves to the places where they can receive the help, but getting places doesn't mean that you can just get on the bus and it's there. They're overwhelmed. They're not taking their meds. So it just exasperates it. We know that once you get on the street and you shift into survival mode, right? You're not even thinking about lining up and 
applying for a job, you're thinking about your next meal, where I'm going to get, where I'm able to sleep safely. I don't have to, you know, protect what I have. You know, that takes a toll on people. And so to say that it's their fault is really, I believe, really denies the reality of God. I think you're right. I do. Well, here's another one. Uh, you uh, were the Urban Development Director for World Vision mm-hmm. on the U.S. program where, they, where you were responsible for guiding the department's implementation uh, of, it, of, your, of its signature program's models, which was community transformation and focus on the community youth development. Yes. Yeah, so I, I was on the board for World Vision, mm-hmm. and I think I th- they fired me because I kept asking too many questions. <laughs> no, they just kept hiring me, you know, consulting, and then it becomes a conflict. When you know about nonprofit work, the boards, if you, if you have to declare if you're getting paid or whatever you did. Mm-hmm. And the president said, you know, you need to decide, do you just stay on the board or, you know, or do you come you know, become an employee and you can really help us there? So I came on as an, uh, you know, as a, uh, an employee, employee of World Vision and looking at their transformational model that they were doing effectively internationally. But I said, we can do some of that. We should do it here in the U.S. And the fact of the matter is that World Vision is focused around children. Mm. So it's, I think it's a win-win. Take this transformational model that you've been so successful in rural areas of the world and let's, let's marry it with our focus on children that you already do internationally, but you do it more also here in the United States. And you already have been doing some youth ministry. Let's really bring about the merger of transforming communities with young people as being agents of that transformation. And training the youth workers to see young people as truly true resources in the community. And so we began to create that curricula that the international community has done really well. Uh, World Vision Internationally has done it. Yeah, it's um, amazing. an amazing work with that. They're an amazing pro, uh, work. They do an amazing work. Yes. So, and uh, I was reading here on your, and you know, it says that you're a highly sought after instructor, speaker, consultant because of all your experience. Uh, and and your knowledge of of community development. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's a, a never ending uh, invitations to you know share that. But I'm always about um, lifting up the other people, right? Mm-hmm. Leadership development, giving them. I don't want them to come back to me. I want to be able to give them the tools or unleash what they already know, but maybe see in a different way. Often I see even. Churches that say, well, we only have a few people here. What can we do? I go, let's talk about what you already have. Uh, I, I get pastors really to wake up. I say, I want to teach you how to have impact in your community without increasing your budget. Because mm. all the time when you talk about programs, it takes budget and staff. Right. But what can you, already, what can you leverage? Steward, right? Steward what God has given you and use it for God's glory by impacting in significant ways the community for that everybody can can benefit from a full life, not just the few that come in through your, a given program. Yeah. Not to disparage programs. I mean, some of it is totally needed. But programs can only help a certain number of people. 
I was talking to the vice president of Campus Crusade uh, while I was it was in Moldova, <laughs> so I got to oh, speak okay. with him, and uh-huh. he actually said the same thing. You know, the way to really move forward is to recognize what you have as resources and mm-hmm. utilize that, and it solves a lot of problem from going out. Yeah. And, and so a lot of the organizations have really have awakened to that reality now, and yeah. again. John McKnight has been really helpful with what they call asset-based development, ABCD. And we always had it, but he's given us the, the framework to be able to do it strategically and programmatically and really in terms of tangible results. So if somebody out there in the world needed your help mm-hmm. to come out and help them, speak to them, mm-hmm. how would they get a hold of you? Well, they can contact you, <laughs> and you can give them my my email. Uh, they can Google me. They can find me on Google uh, search. But I'm more than happy to respond in any way. Together LA, they can uh, contact me through there. Uh, Together LA, and it's my Michael at togetherla.net. Okay. And they can email me there. Now, I have on our, our website, thebelieversjourney.net, I have... Um a link there to Together LA. Do you have a, a contact spot there in that website, in their website? Like Not on the website. Um, you, you may hear some of my interviews on the website, but I need to ask them to go ahead and put that in there. I'm listed there. Yeah. And maybe they, I have, I know they, they did a revamp and I haven't seen the latest version of their upgrading of it. But uh, again, Michael at TogetherLA.net is my email okay. and they can find me there or they can f- I, I still have some live uh, emails from other institutions I've been part of like APU okay. if they went they saw me there they could probably I, I, I look at it once in a while but uh, togetherla.net is where and if they they're can, on LinkedIn they can catch one and LinkedIn they can they can find me there as yeah. well Okay, well, let's talk about salt and light in the community. Okay. <laughs> I know that, you know, we've already talked a tiny bit about that. Uh-huh. And I guess the, the passage we have mostly comes from Matthew, right? Matthew, it's uh, 5, 13 through 16. Uh, and I'll go ahead and read it. I'm sure most of us already know it, but it says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Mm-hmm. We talked about that yeah. last night. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Yes. And in in verse 14, it says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give it light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father Amen. in heaven. Amen. Talk about that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, and you probably heard, heard this, people say, well, if your church were to disappear tomorrow, would anybody notice? Wow. You know, and that's the aspect of saltiness. If you lost your saltiness, that, that no people, that you, when you leave, people will actually celebrate because maybe you're, the traffic you created on Sundays, you know, really impacts the, the quality of life in the neighborhood. And they go, I'm glad they left. Or they do they even know they exist there? I remember when I arrived to, you know, uh, there in Los Angeles, I went around introducing myself and I said, I'm with this church. And they said, where, where is it? And I said, well, right next to um, Safeway. It was, it's now 
Vons, but it was Safeway. And they go, yeah, the, the, oh, you mean that brick building there? They didn't even know he existed, and that church had been there for at least 20, 20 years, That's... right, or more. And so I went back to, we have a real challenge here. We can't even share the gospel because they don't even know we exist. Yeah. So that began the process of getting out there and being salt. And salt means good, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how we did. We started doing good. So I had all these young people that pent out energy. And we and I would called up. I would, I would see an event in the local newspaper. And I said, you need some volunteers. Oh, yes, we're having a senior luncheon and we need some help. I said, can I, can I, what if I brought a dozen young people to help set up? And that would be great. So that's how I began to be salt. And I think that's what it takes. We need to be present. Mm-hmm. We need to take and do good in the community, or at least let them know that you exist and you have something to offer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are more and more churches, I, I believe, that are just like that. The people in the community are like, oh, that's a church? Or, you know, I never knew. Yeah. So. Well, I, I remember when I was at Berkeley and we there was a small Nazarene church and it was going to be closed or the DS wanted to close it and sell it because it only had six members left. Mm-hmm. I think the youngest was 70. Wow. Right? And, and uh, so I came there, so the, but the people weren't willing to move on. And he, the, the DS probably said when they move on to glory, he can have the property. But they weren't going to leave, and they weren't going to merge. So he put in a uh, a, uh, a, st- a young young pastor who happened to be a youth pastor down in L.A., but he was working on his doctorate, so he would be able to kind of you know be the shepherd for the time being. Well, he knew what I was doing. He said, "Come on over," and I did a workshop with these six elderly people, exegete the neighborhood. We went out. They were on their walkers. They went out <laughs> and looked around the community and came back and reported. And they found, I'm just getting an example of light and salt. They found a, a, uh, a, a homeless shelter for families. But every morning, the people had to vacate the, pro- the property. And they said, wow, we, we, there's families, there's with children and elderly. and Can we invite them for lunch? Now, they didn't say, let's start a food program. Can we like them for lunch? And I go, yeah, what are we going to do? Well, we have our gardens. We can bring some salad. So that began a relationship with the people in the community. People started showing up. They go, oh, we thought this was cool. What's going on here? Can we be part of that? So all of a sudden, their saltiness outside began to come in and become light in the community. And for that season, people said, well, can we come to worship here? I play the guitar. He go, yeah, come on over. And one of them said, we have some kids. And I call her Miss Gracie. She had these old flannel. Remember those flannel Bible stories? She yeah. dusted those out and brought those all on Sunday for Sunday stories with the kids. And, you know, Kenny, who's blind, it was um, because of diabetes, brought his television to show and play checkers with the people. Brother, that, that was being salt in the community. They yeah. felt alive. They felt respected. They felt connected. And those elderly people felt like God was still using them and could use them. And that became truly a center of hope and healing for many people. I wonder if one of the situations, and, and you might know, obviously you'll know this better than me, but I, I'm just throwing mm-hmm. this out. I wonder if one of the problems is we 
Christian type people, mm-hmm. you know, think that being salt is only talking about Jesus only. Mm. And mm. therefore, I talk about Jesus, and but they don't think about inviting people for a meal or... Yeah, and that's the other <laughs> second characteristic in Hebrews 13 is uh, uh, hospitality. You know, to open up what we have to show or just to connect with somebody on a really human basis. Again, Jesus did that. Yeah. I mean, when we look at that, he talked to the woman at the, the well. He, she didn't, he didn't start preaching to her. Or, you need, you know, you need to know God. You need to be part of the kingdom of God. He said, tell me about, I know about your life. It's been rough. It hasn't been easy. You know, that, and she's just, wow, no one has talked to me about that. No one has recognized me as a human being or understood the challenges that I have as a woman in this culture. That's life. People connect on that level. You know, they may have had a bad experience in terms of their religious or non-religious experience, but if you talk about day-to-day things and aspects of their lives, they connect it, and that's what happened. And that's how the these elderly got to know more about the people's needs. They weren't saying, you, got to, you want to come to church? They, the people ask those questions. What else can we do here? And they go, well, here's an opportunity. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> they said, we don't need, uh, Pastor, you can study at home. We're going to take your library and make it into a washroom. Because they, they brought in a washer and dryer and charged them a quarter. You know, and they, they transformed that church building into, again, a center of hope and wow. connection. And, and that really uh, brought a sense of vitality. Now, the end of that story just talks about the other aspect you talked about, that people just say, okay, you got to talk about Jesus, and that's what people are going to respond to. The next pastor that came, that pastor's idea of evangelism was knocking on doors, passing out tracts, and bringing them into a worship experience. It closed down. Mm. Mm. It closed down. And that property has been sold and it's now a Buddhist center. Yeah. But that time of period when those six elderly people that everybody would have written off, is this a church? It's the building. But the body of Christ was thriving. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's so amazing. You know, Jesus said in, um, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he's talking to the disciples. And he says, I give you a new commandment <laughs> that you love one another as I have loved you. And that if you love one another, the world will know that you're my yes. disciples. Yeah. And this starts within the community. Are we loving one another? And loving one another doesn't mean we're shaking somebody's hand at church and walking right. away. I mean, you know, you, you see a, a single mom needs her lawn mowed. Go mow it. Yeah. Take, it helps. That, that's loving. That's taking care of the body. Right. You know, you, you see somebody, I mean, I was in Moldova, and I'm looking at these missionaries who don't have money, and they're, mm-hmm. they're depending on us giving money mm-hmm. to, for them to survive. Mm-hmm. And they they see somebody who doesn't have a job and they're hurting, and they'll give them clothing or food or money out of their own pocket. And I've noticed this with one area, and this person they were helping, this, this family now attends the church and before mm-hmm. did not, all because... Not because they gave them a tract and preached to them, but because they gave them food and helped them 
with their needs mm -hmm. and then brought them in yeah. and shared Jesus. Or just respecting who they are. I mean, yeah. in front of our house, we have a little chalk so people, little kids can write and draw stories or faces and... Unfortunately, no one has wrote, wrote anything negative or bad. And oh, yeah, we've seen adults down there write stuff, or oh, happy really? day, or play tic-tac-toe. I mean, just to create an environment where people can connect as one another as human beings. Yeah. And, I, and when I say human being, I say created in the image of God, right? Yeah. So we need to honor that. We, for, we, we, we connect and facilitate that. We honor that. When somebody delivers something, you know, and people are going to complain because they got late or didn't wasn't... Um, delivered on time, hey, have a great day, or how's it going? Yeah. Or when somebody knocks on the door and they have to do this, you know, trying to get people to sign up for something and they're going to get the door slammed in their face, we can say, hey, do you, you need something to drink? You know, we're not going to sign up because we already have what we need, but, you know, you know, it's a hard work and, you know, can we give you something in that regard? Sometimes they go, really? Other times, no, I'm okay. But just that interaction to recognize yeah. who they are and honor them. Or one person said, are you a Christian? Go, why do you say that? With the way you, you talk and the way you related to me. You know, yes, I am. Oh, yeah. wow. And I, I think that's key. It's key to, and it's a testament, a testimony. Yes. To your uh, or anybody's, you know, how they are really grounded in Jesus, how yeah, they're exactly. grounded in their faith in him. Right. And I, I know those are challenging times, you know, when, you know, I remember one day uh, coming in was still a youth pastor and came into the, the, you know, the gym where they play basketball, but we weren't playing basketball there. In one corner, I had all the, all the young guys, and I think it was one girl that was doing break dancing because they liked the, the, the smoothest and the, the wax floor. They could jump around and spin around and do all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I just go like, wow. And the other, the other side was these, all these wannabes. They don't know what they want to be, but they're trying to be cool. I had one, my, my one guy who was during the Bible study was always reading Peace and what is War and Peace, right? Or whatever that big novel was. Or uh, he was a, he graduated from, with a 4.2 and went to Stanford. And I go like, wow. Yeah. And then in my other group, pink, pink mohawks, right? Leather jackets, you know, 30,000 earrings, you know. Before it was all, <laughs> they would have probably be tatted now, you know, tattoos, but they didn't do it then. But it, I said, they're all welcome here. We even had one who was, you know, uh, mentally um, developing delayed and problems. Um, he, it was okay. You know, that's to create that environment where everyone is welcome, no matter how non-mainstream you look or how different your lifestyle is, to just say that I'm not here to judge. But yeah. I, know I just want to let you know that God loves you. And yeah. Christ wants something better for all of us. And I cannot do it without you being part of it. They go, like me? Like this? You. The real you. Right? Yeah. And that's what brought all the young people. I mean, I wasn't giving out things. We weren't doing all these great trips. But they found a place where they could be loved and cared for just as they were. Right? We, we, don't we sing that just as I am? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, and like I said earlier, we, we came to Sunday school class for two years. <laughs> and we were not 
you could tell we had nothing to do with church. Mm-hmm. And we didn't live that way. We, we were rambunctious. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we said things in Sunday school you just don't say. Right. <laughs> well, you're just being we true were just to yourselves. Us. Yeah, right. we were right. just us. And yet, they totally accepted us. They, mm-hmm. they totally brought us in. And I think that's a, a testament to the youth pastor at the time uh-huh. and also to the pastor. Because and what kind of impact it made in your life. And it made it amazing. And, and there you are. And there's others. Yes. And there's others that I know who are in gangs are now pastors. And, you know, yeah. just people who uh, now live in faith. Yeah. And one thing you said that I want to go back to some comments I made because about being light and salt. We see sometimes gangs as a problem. You know, gangs are not the problem. They are symptoms of something that's gone wrong in the community or mm-hmm. in the lives of people. That they come together. Because somebody, a sociologist looked at what I was doing and said, you're doing an alternative gang. <laughs> you know, you created, you know, where people are connecting and, you know, watch each other's backs and they find meaning and purpose here. But it's more positive and life-giving where this other aspect of it. So I never asked my youth if they were part of a gang or they need to be out of a gang. But I was just giving them an alternative. And then their gang members who looked at them wouldn't hassle them. They looked at them to make sure they were really being true to what they're saying, going to church and being part of a a youth group. Because if they didn't, then there would have been really much problems with them. Mm -hmm. And then other people started joining. I had guys that were obviously had been jumped. But finding a place that they could just be young people, they didn't have to be tough, they didn't have to do that stuff. So that, again, we were able to be salt and bring them and for them to see and see the light, right? And be, I would say, I'm trying to be poetic here, but be, you know, the light just takes on on them and shines in a different way that they wouldn't have never thought about themselves. Yeah. You know, um, in closing this up, there's a, there's a, Probably the most well-known passage in, in the scripture that we know is John three sixteen. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world that he who believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And the word believe uh, is probably written by John through all of his books, probably about 120, 130 times, I'm not sure. But the word that we get that from, the word believe, is in the Greek, pistuo. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's different than what we see in the English, Spanish, Romanian, Russian language word believe. Bistruo is an active verb, and believe is a passive verb. And the scripture says, Bistruo, he who believes, who is actively yes. following, right. actively choosing to yes. follow what the scriptures yes. teach us. yes. And that is what I'm hearing through all through both programs that we have done. That's what I'm hearing. It's about pistuo. It's yeah. about actively following the teachings of the scripture. I thank you. That's exactly right. That helps me even what you said. What I'm what I'm about, right? And also, the world is a cosmos, a total creation, and the eternal life is not just something like after we all pass away, but it, the fullness of what life is now. And it comes out of that active engagement yeah. and process, as you call it here, the journey of the believer, right? Yeah. And I think that it's just, it's absolutely imperative that it be taught. Absolutely imperative that we 
we understand that we need to be active, that we need to take part in living what we're being taught. If we're not, and we just say, I understand it's real because I believe, that's not believe according to the scripture, but it's being taken part. It's, it's jumping in with both feet, getting your hands wet, mm-hmm. dirty, however you want to say mm-hmm. it, and being part of that community to pull people in for healing, for loving, for caring, yes, and showing the fact that you are part, you are, Jesus is your Lord. Yeah, and people, are, I have found even in my interfaith work, they looking, they're looking for that. You say you're a Christian. Let me see that in the fruit of what you do. Yeah. There's there's one more passage, and I need to close. It's in First John chapter two verses. 3 through 6. And John says this. He says, We know that we have come to know him, Jesus, if we obey his commandments Mm. or commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do his commands is a liar. Mm -hmm. And the truth is not in him. Right. But if anyone says, if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in God, in Jesus. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Right, exactly. That there is your foundation. Uh-huh. That really is our, is all of our foundation. Amen. So Beautiful. It's been wonderful. I'm so, I hope you come out again. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. I want to visit you. Uh, <laughs> this has been good. Um, thank you for joining us today. We've had a wonderful time here. Um, and Lord bless you Lord bless you in this uh, Christmas season and thank you for everything that you've done for our ministry and thank you for joining us Michael I appreciate it thank you Aloha Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the word of God in a clear and practical manner for more information please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.